Oh, how have you been, mate, anyway? Are you good? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> been a stressful week or no? Is it been all right? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm still working through some stuff at uni, uh, just mm. finishing a foundation degree at uh, drama school. Yeah. Um, and then sort of seeing what else what else I can do, really. Cool. Okay, well, I'm going to do my, fa- my fancy intro now. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. This this is this is where it gets very professional. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the In the Den podcast. I am your host Craig Denham, and today I'm being joined by Sean Morris. Hello, mate. Are you good? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I've just been uh, on a call with my youth company, so I've just just got off of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not it's not been too bad, you know. Um, okay. Uh, cool. Yeah, uh, it's it's my last week of lockdown, which is which is good. Um, about to work next week. Okay, cool. That's a positive thing. Uh, I mean, like it, it's nice to be able to wake up whenever you want, you know. And um, oh, yeah, and like you know, it, it's it's pretty good to be able to like. You know, do whatever you want and things like that. But like, I'm looking forward to a bit of routine again. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's important at the time being. Some people find that they've found a routine in lockdown and have settled in that. But mm-hmm. no, most most people want to get back to normal and well, yeah, a version of normal at least, and then see where they can go from there. Yeah, um, I actually haven't actually asked you. Um, so how how have you been during lockdown? Has it been okay for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I've followed a lot of isolation guidelines. I haven't had it, but I've followed isolation guidelines mm. so far. And yeah. being sort of a, a film nerd and a theatre, uh, yeah. you know, being in the theatre world, it's it's quite interesting and entertaining to to get a lot of that content back and to watch some stuff that I missed. So, um, yeah, I've just been catching up, really, because... Uh, uni filled up a lot of my time previous to yeah. this. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, same here because I, I, I had so many things that I've been meaning to get started and just never seem to have the time. For example, this podcast. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's been it's been really good to kind of have kind of what four months to kind of be, be able to work on just some some personal projects, and it's been really good. Yeah, some ideas that you can. Uh, develop as you go through and you've you've established them now so yeah, I suppose yeah. we all have one hot a hot couple of hobbies that we want to keep going and things like that yeah. that's only only a positive thing yeah i learned uh the rubik's cube uh at the beginning so i think that i was... saw that yeah I yeah so... I I it's good it's it's a good trick to have i've never been able to do it but it's yeah it's funny bit of a party trick i think yeah, really? it's, been like, it's, been like, like, it's been like three weeks to do it, which I'm, I'm not very proud of, if I'm honest, because like, it, it, it is such a long time, and like I do feel a bit sad that I spent so long on it, but, you know, it, I think it's pretty good. I hate to say it, but everybody had time, so you may as well fill it with something. Yeah, <laughs> my mum my my wasn't uh, happy when I turned around, and I, and I, I was like, hey mum, I've, I've done a Rubik's Cube, and she was like, oh, so that's where you've been for three weeks. So, well, so you've been... What yeah, I, just, I, I mean, I just I'd wake up like just spend like an hour, maybe a day doing the Rubik's cube, just stay in my room all day. But, like they didn't see me, you no, know. No. <laughs> yeah, 
So we should probably uh, explain to everyone how, how we met and how our, our friendship came about. So, um, yeah, would you like to explain? How yeah, how so we uh, met up in college, sort of sixth mm. form, I suppose, for anybody else that's not available, uh, at the University Technical College in Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, studying slightly different things, but we had classes together. Mm. And then had a sort of friendship group around that as well. Yeah. Um, so, actually, I, I've spoken to a few people, uh, but no one from drama class. So you're, you're the first person I've spoken to from, from drama class, which is Oh, good. really? Yeah. Yeah. So I've spoken to Georgia, Phoenix, Olivia, and Romario. Uh, all in this format. Yeah, all in this format. Yeah. So it's it's been... Um, it's been good to talk to them and obviously see, see what they've been, been been up to. But like, you know, they were in film and they were in English, or they just were my my, my mates on the on you know outside yeah. of the class. But you know, I I have really fond memories of drama class. To be able to um, kind of speak to someone from drama is actually really beneficial for me. Oh no, definitely. Uh, it's that was a, a crazy class. That, I mean, in oh, yeah. the sense of its experimentation and. The groups that we had and then we didn't have within yeah. that group class, and we also had some brilliant texts, some of which I've revisited recently, and they don't seem to have held up so well. I must have. Oh, quite, really? Yeah, quite good memories of them in drama class, and then not very good memories out of in terms <laughs> Fair of enough. the the, the texts that we studied in the uh, sort of world building that the teachers encouraged at that mm. point as well. Um, yeah, one of sort of our class was uh, a practical class rather than an academic class wasn't it Craig? so uh, yeah definitely we, yeah we one of the few pieces of academic writing we did for that particular teacher was on some of the texts that we learned mm. uh, we, well streetcar named desire really mm-hmm. um and uh, and then the practical side was obviously his priority and most of the time it was ours as well um yeah so yeah, we started with that along with the physicality element of the animals, I believe, and there was various different things, things that people will learn outside of, well, could have learned outside of college as a base, and yeah. then got those techniques, uh, sort of reaffirmed those techniques later on. So it was very mm. much a, uh, sort of, it was a basis, a basic course for then your uh, understanding of drama later on and it it's helped me i know that and i'm pretty sure it's helped you as well yeah i'd, I'd agree with that because i think going i think i think i remember speaking to our year 12 teacher at the end and he kind of said to us all what was the thing that you learned this year and i think i just said i have i, I learned that i know nothing but that's really good for me yeah i, I mean it we didn't know very much, did we? Some mm. of us knew a little bit because some of us were fortunate enough to be in the industry already through our families and things. But most yeah. of most of the time, it was a kind of okay. So who's he then? Who are they then? Mm. Who? What have they written, talked, taught about that that's important for the industry that we want to go into? And I always, I I, I always approached it from a direct directing point of view because I knew that's the kind of direction that I wanted to go in. It was a kind of uh, introduction to 
uh, most of the practitioners that we'd learn about. Yeah. Like, further on than drama. So it was things like, um, I don't know, Brecht and Stanislavski mm. and Brooke and things, things that come up in my sort of job now. I call it a job. It's actually uni. Yeah. But yeah. I, I call it a job because of the hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I think you do more hours than me, and I get and I and I'm actually working. So, yeah, yeah you actually, probably is more. It, it's definitely it's definitely a different approach to learning, and mm. and Elstree was part of that. Elstree was part of that thing, but they also allowed a lot of experimentation as well. Which, mm. when I think back on it, they did. I didn't think so at the time, but they did. Yeah. I mean, you're like looking back on it. Weird though. It's good. Yeah, strange and slightly and very very interesting. Um, yeah, I definitely agree on the on the fact that um, when when I first started drama, I di- I didn't understand what practitioners were, you know, or like before sixth form, I had a very basic understanding of of drama, and I kind of got to sixth form, and I was kind of being told that okay actually this is this is kind of how things are done around here this is actually kind of what we do on on a real life basis which was actually really beneficial for me going forward definitely yeah and i mean i think you picked up your style as well in Mm, that i'm wrong in saying that because i think no you're correct you're correct i'd say that um I, i definitely found that i in that so sometimes I, I think back on my my earlier performances, and of course I was just I was just a kid, but you know, I, I'd I'd realise that I was just being myself on stage, you know. But I I feel like nowadays being able to kind of employ more of a Stanislavski kind of technique is actually really beneficial for me. It's been really beneficial in terms of kind of like how I do my approach to things now. I'd also say that Brecht was really beneficial as well because I think sometimes. My comedy was for the sake of comedy. So yeah, Brecht, um, the comedic side of things, yeah. Yeah, and and I definitely also say more, maybe not political, but I think I try and make sure that there is a point behind my comedy rather than just being funny for the sake of being funny. Yeah, I mean, it, it balances quite well between slapstick stuff and, and practical yeah. jokes and things like that. Mm. And then if you want to get serious and political about things you can I, yeah. I I didn't see that in people's comedy if I could help it you know unless somebody yeah. was really being satirical um, mm. but that that was just something I saw in a lot of students at Elstree actually was that was part of their personalities was this humour side of it and, yeah, and drama helped with that mm. um so we did Stanislavski and Brecht, and we also, I think we touched on Arto, but I don't think anyone really took a, a massive interest in him because I don't think we actually did much going forward. We didn't do um, much, no. I, I mean, no. we didn't do him for long enough for people to be interested. I don't think. Yeah. That was where Burkhoff came in. Yeah. The... Did you um, did you touch on Arto uh, since Elstree, or or have you kind of left Once him kind tw- of behind? Once or twice, but only for extreme horror or sadness or the you know the really yeah dull emotions in things, um, not dull but sad anyway. Yeah, because uh, I th- I feel like sometimes I would like to do more of him, but like you know I feel like there's never really the opportunity to do so because it is such an extreme. 
it, it is exceptionally uh, exceptionally extreme and then you've got you know the current circumstances nobody really wants to look at something that's going to make them sad it's just not yeah. practical at the point in time yeah oh yeah um so you were you were saying Burkhoff as well i actually forgot we did Burkhoff as well did you uh, that was a, yeah I, that was quite funny I I, enjoyed I, I I enjoyed it yeah i enjoyed it as well but actually it, like i just remember kind of the first three were obviously stanislavski brecht and Arto, and then just kind of you know Burkhoff is completely wiped from my mind that we just went on to brook no, it was Ber- it was we had Stanislavski, Brechton, Arto. Then we had, mm. um, oh, God, Shakespeare, Brooke, and yeah, and Berkhoff. yeah. That was how they sort of turn the the structure put itself. Of course, two teachers as well. Of course, two years of drama, and of course, two teachers who taught in very different ways. Um, the teachers had. Like had very different approaches to the Shakespeare, mm. to um, Brooke and to Burkhoff. You know, they were. Yeah. They, it was a very different atmosphere to the lessons. Very um, practical, and it helped in the skill, but just lots of different uh, yeah. approaches to the and the text as well. Some of the stuff yeah. that came up come up in the first teacher's lessons in terms of the interpretation of Macbeth and then the yeah. second interpretation of Macbeth was very, very different. Um, yeah. Which is why we were introduced to Oedipus as well, which comes up yeah. quite a lot in my in my work or has done. Um, yeah. Cause speaking from what, yeah. Cause speaking from what I've done since as well, kind of very early this year, we were talking about kind of Greek theatre and stuff like that and, and, you know, Antigone and Oedipus and things like that. So, I definitely also think that Greek theatre is a, is a very big cornerstone to tackle. Oh yeah, huge, absolutely mm. huge, and comes across in a lot of modern stories now without us really realising it. The yeah, the whole structure of sort of stories is that there's possibly only seven storylines, and I think yeah. two of them are Greek, two of them are Shakespeare, two of them are Greek, and I don't mm. know the other three, but yeah. I'm, it's it's a basic text that crops up now and again that people don't realise has happened really until you reach the kind of things that we were doing sort of high array level into uni. Yeah. Um, yeah. Still interesting. And yeah, very interesting. Definitely yeah. has room for adaptations and things should we want to later mm. on in our own careers. Um, <laughs> I would also, yeah, I'd also say as well that the final the final practitioner that we really touched upon was Peter Brook. And I remember you saying uh, we we went to the pub last year. We had a drink together, and 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 we we were talking about Brooke, and that you said that since going on to kind of higher education, that you that you've really kind of seen that um, Brooke is much more complex than whatever whatever we touched upon. So like, I think if you could, uh, obviously I don't want I don't want to push you, push you too much here, but obviously if you if you could. You know, explain a little bit more about Peter Brook and kind of you know the challenges of that. Okay, so we touched upon it earlier with the political stuff. Um, mm. His writing was very, his method was very sort of getting away from the political side of things unless he had to. He was a person that made a statement on the stage, mm. and that part of that was making an empty space to performing. Uh, sort of, yeah. He called it the empty space. We would probably now call it sort of safe space. Um, yeah. 
to, to draw upon. We, I believe, took the approach that it was a political thing when mm. we did ours um, and set it in a time frame as well. So we kind of limited ourselves into yeah. into Brooks' technique, whereas we, I won't say we shouldn't have, but we had a lot more to play with if we wanted to. That's one of the yeah. things that I've seen recently. And as well, his, refer- his work still gets referenced currently it is still something that will get mm. drawn upon by lots of different people you know regardless of where they're at in their training or at in their their style of their acting they will reference that because it is important to yeah theater basically he's done films as well and we did see one at elstree he did um lord of the flies um, oh, I do remember Lord of the Fries, yeah. Lord of the Fries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he did that, and he's done one or two sort of character parts, but the big thing he did was uh, Midsummer Night's Dream on the stage yeah. in 72, I think, Okay. which was his empty space, empty, yeah, yeah. the empty space version of Shakespeare. And that isn't down, like in theatre. That's not down as Shakespeare. That's down as Brooks' *Midsummer Night's Dream*. It's, oh, it's wow, become really? recognised. You know, it's his method that's brought that. Yeah. To the, I think it's you know it's important. It's still important now, and he's held up by a lot of people for a lot of different reasons as some as one of the greater writers. Uh, which mm. is something I didn't realise in sixth form. Um, yeah, because I still feel as though Stanislavski for me is kind of the pinnacle of what I've reached. But from what you've been talking about, it does sound like Peter Brook is either arguably higher up or even on the same level as Stanislavski in terms of importance. In terms of importance, I I don't know. He's definitely a set text, if you get my mm. my yeah. know, the meaning of it, in terms of the academic side of it. And it, it, it's useful for people to reach on both of those things, but I'm not sure like, how people would judge it, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. The, the importance, I mean, the teacher that we had was very uh, vocal about Brooke and would use that as an example a lot of the time. So we obviously have a sort of bias towards that side yeah. of the acting. Um, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to see somebody that was solely Stanislavski or they wanted to get into your you know, sort of, forgive the gritty period drama type thing. Yeah, It was yeah. solely Stanislavski, solely naturalist and just went, naturalistic and just went for it. Whereas yeah. you and I might not in our, yeah. in our jobs. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you say has been um, the, the, I guess, I guess, not the most important, but the one that you've come back to the most, or is there a new practitioner that maybe that we haven't touched upon that you've kind of been most in contact with? I mean, nobody's in contact with. Uh, yeah, them. I mean, that was, that, was, that was the wrong word. <laughs> uh, um, kind of, which ones do you would you say that you use the most uh, over the last kind of two years of your work, or two years there... of the work? Um, I, in terms of style, I definitely say things like Burkhoff and Brecht because of the set, you know, the, the, mm. the set dressing and the set element. They're not quiet spaces, the spaces that I've worked on. They're quite loud, they're colourful, they've 
the baiting changes are uh, um, sharp, appropriate, and they have, you know, emotion to that as well. Um, but yeah, the naturalistic stuff still holds with a lot of people and is internationally recognised. So you do tend to see that more often, the kind of so-called straight plays rather than hammed up acting or acting for a sort of political purpose, if you know that. What have you come across in in the work? Um, so obviously like I took a I took a massive break after um finishing Elstree in terms of acting. Um and um you know I didn't do an awful lot for about a year and a half and then I kind of got back in touch with that side of my life uh, towards the end of last year. Uh I definitely say that we've def- we've taken more of a Stanislavski uh approach. I've I've also touched upon Meisner which has been very interesting but very difficult I must add. Yeah, um, no, it, it is difficult. Mm. I've I've been sort of around it and I've seen it done and it's it's important but it's also quite scary that was one of the, the sort of warnings we got at sixth form level was that some of these techniques aren't always um, you know preferred methods the, either the preferred method or the safest method depending on who you are and where you are yeah but, um, but that's you know that's how for people in the in the next steps of their career should they you know if drama school's a thing for them yeah um, so you are at a drama school at the moment yeah and you i, I actually don't fully know actually because i don't think i've ever asked what you aspire to do next and kind of what you're looking at doing and maybe not how you're going to get there, but like, you know, kind of what path you see taking maybe over the next like, I don't know, four or five years or so. Um, uh, okay. plan that far ahead. <laughs> I don't think anybody can at the minute. Further than a week. No, exactly. Um, so no, the, the, the general idea and the idea I had at sixth form and what I'm kind of sticking with is mm. uh, camera operation, directorship, that kind of okay. Thing. Um, I've had a, think, a couple of experiences at drama school which have led me on to more of the director of photography side of things and the artistic side of things rather than the um, di- directorship solely. You know, if you take that, take that into account, one thing I didn't realise was the, the closeness of the relationship between the director of photography, the assistant director who is basically a stage manager, but for a film, and then yeah. the director themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there are ways and means of achieving an, you know, an ambitious but decent goal in film without being the director. There is roles that I feel I can fill without being you know, a director by the time I'm 30 or whatever. Yeah. There are, there are other roles out there. So is your is your course a two year course or a three year course? It two year course, and I'm coming to the end of it now. So I'm thinking about moving forward, uh, like yeah, ho- hopefully into education because job market isn't so stable at present. Yeah, yeah, of course. Everywhere. Yeah, but um, um, you know, that's the next step would be something to improve on what I've done at a foundation level. 
Yeah, of course. So then you'd want to move into more of a, a director of photography. Uh, would you would you ever consider working in theatre or, or, or would you say that definitely film is kind of where you're more aimed for? Definitely the aim is, is film. Um, mm. I think some some directors and some video specialists now have made the jump between both, which is yeah. a possibility given the training I've just had. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, everything needs to recover, including, yeah, of course, yeah. the students that are involved at this particular point in time. Yeah. So there's, you know, the, the, the ambition is there, the the yeah. aim is there. Whether whether it's practical is another thing, sort of entirely. Yeah. Um, doesn't doesn't mean I d- dislike it at all, and I'm still yeah, enthusiastic yeah. about it. But it's you know we need to be sensible about what we do next mm. as, as a as an industry really. Yeah. Um, so yeah. kind of touching on what is next for the industry. Obviously, we're, we're talking now at a very a very pivotal point in time because obviously you know there has never been a situation like this for over a hundred years in terms of kind of a global pandemic, you know, or, or kind of a global virus, which has kind of halted so much of everyday life and, and kind of what's recently been in the news, especially over the last week or so has been kind of what us as an industry can do moving forward. So as, as, as someone that, that is working in that industry at the moment, I guess, what would you expect to kind of, see in in kind of the next you know going forward pretty much immediately or as soon as we can what would you expect to see i i don't know i think i have i have looked at what's next in my own work in the fact yeah. that I've written stuff and kind of made it a bit of fiction really this this mm. whole situation like in to turn it into fictions so as to explore the idea of what is next yeah, the practical side of things is basically uh, social distancing as best people can. Yeah. That, that provides issues in terms of financing, which yeah. is losing people jobs and various other things that are hideous and won't help yeah. anybody. Um, so there's, there's a lot to do with the stability of stuff at the minute, but it, it basically means do what we can as often as we can. People are curative in lots of different ways, and if theatre can like mould itself to that, then mm. that's great. We've had things like uh, monologues from people that have been sent in. We've had, you know, like, on, on a national scale, of course, I'm talking, this is you know, the RSC and National yeah. Theatre yeah. and things like that. People have done things in their own living rooms that can be considered theatre and probably will be and will be an example of what happened to theatre in this period of yeah. time. I think the idea of um, pe- people actually being there and seeing it is less feasible and that's where the stability comes in but the idea of being curative, that won't stop. I, yeah. I can't you know, you can't stop people from coming up with ideas and scripts and yeah, and wanting to film something on their phone or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, that we are currently in a place place where people are picking things up and running with it, getting ideas 
filming things from their phone, that ki that kind of thing. That's where we are now. The practical bit of it is getting the in getting the theatres stable again. Yeah, because I, I I thought my next question was going to be, do you see a future for for, for theatre? But I think that's not a, not a silly question, but I think almost it answers itself because I I think as much as you know people maybe prefer to kind of be online or maybe it's not safe for the next few years to be in the theatre but i still think that theatre for not only people but in terms of our industry is so important so i do i, I was going to ask you know do you think theatre will last but of course it will i think it has to yeah it's it has to last as a sort of format in order to mm. to tell stories that are not going to get filmed weren't ever designed to be filmed really yeah uh, and i'm not sort of the the two things are very separate but in order to get them to a mass audience nowadays you have to film it yeah it's, that's simple but the important bit and the bit that you know i've been involved in the last two years or so is seeing the actors and actresses and the technical teams be picked up and and trained and talent spotted for want of a better word into the jobs that they're suitable for. I mean yeah. the the creatives and producers and writers have people in mind, but they've only got those people in mind because of something they saw yeah. you know, either at the very start like at a stage in their career or even when they were at college. The, yeah. there's people pick up work in different ways and become sort of famous in different ways too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it will stand as something that's very important for, for the creative industry and for film. And yeah. Yeah. Theater needs to exist because otherwise the other one wouldn't, you know, the, the next yeah. steps would not exist. Yeah. I do also think like, it's been so important to see what the National Theatre has been doing, you know, going live. And obviously it's great to be able to receive free entertainment at home. But I think the point still stands is that the only reason why they're doing it is because they do need funds to to, to stay open and, and, and not everyone can do that. No, it, it, not every... National Theatre is a very large platform, as yeah. is the Globe, as is the RSC, but even they have their limits... Yeah, we're, we're dealing with people that even at that level don't have the funds to carry on or yeah. could, could you know so what is that doing to your local theater what is that doing to yeah. the next bunch of the next cohort of actors and mm. things like that what, yeah so it's it's about the stability and Sadly, that's not nothing to do with people of our age group necessarily. That's to do with age group and job role. That's to do with the the next level up and how the industry responds to medical guidelines, government guidelines, whatever you yeah. call it. Yeah. Um, along with furloughing schemes and things. But that's yeah. That's nothing to do with being the curatives that we are. Yeah. So, do you think like over? I mean, talking, being, I'm going to be selfish here talking about myself, but like in terms of kind of like what I want to do going forward, theatre, it would, would have been such an important part, you know, and, and kind of being able to like, you know, get some skills going and kind of being able to be involved in work. But 
I don't know how much you know about this, but but what do you think would be maybe kind of what actors kind of at my level would be doing in, in terms of replacement for theatre, or is there a replacement for theatre? Theatre, as it is currently, is for our age group training. <laughs> it, it exists to train people like us in our age yeah. group you know it's enjoyed by lots and lots of different people and has so many different stories it can tell but for our age group it and for our, the, those in, interested in what we're doing it's mm. you know to do with um the, there's so many different techniques and writers and mm. practical stuff that you can do to make sure that you're ready for, yeah. for when things get back on their feet again this is all at a school level schools yeah. aren't going to turn you away colleges aren't going to turn you away they're just going to teach you differently yeah i i would say you know i i'm coming to the end of my time now at, at drama school so it might be different but mm. I, I couldn't see them turning people away yeah i mean i mean in terms of the discussions that i've i've had there there is we we just don't know in terms of the immediate future, but we're hoping that there is something past COVID, and you know maybe that's not immediate, but maybe that's in a few months. You know that we can maybe begin to to do something back in the theatre, but I don't know. I, I I feasibly don't know how possible that would be. Yeah, I I don't know. Again, nobody knows. The yeah, thing, nobody knows. Yeah. The thing, the thing to do is to look at the techniques. Is to look at the you know. The skills, the techniques, the the things that you might need to audition or to continue, or writers you, yeah. you might like, or things like that. Even if it's just reading stuff, you've got you've then got a base to work from. Because mm. because one of the the great joys of the last kind of nine ten months or so has been able to go to theatre more often and kind of kind of you know explore it explore yeah and 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 see so i've seen lots of stuff at the national theater over the last few months i've i've you know obviously been watching national theater live when i can um have you seen much theater over the last couple months or years since i last saw you you know um, what practically or live or on the youtube i i suppose maybe stuff that you've worked on that you've enjoyed but maybe but i think more so kind of maybe have you seen stuff you know in your own time or have you kind of you know yeah that sort of thing i mean i i take a very cynical view of it to be honest and mm. treat, treat it like a job in yeah. the sense of that was my job therefore why would i go back to work it doesn't mean uh, I have yeah, any lesson, yeah. doesn't mean i have any less enjoyment of it I still yeah. enjoy what I do, but I'm not going to go yeah. back to work. Oh, yeah. It, that's, yeah. That's a personal opinion. That's something that a lot of people disagreed with and would go like work in theatre, then go to a theatre and enjoy some more. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. But I, I didn't think that was a thing for me. But I, I, I do agree with you on, on in, in kind of that, the, the fact that some like most people do, don't enjoy work outside of work. You know, they're, they're not going to go back and like, you know, um, I think I think the phrase is that if you've ever been to like a builder's house, that like their house is always like not done up or whatever. Yes. Or, so it's, I guess it's the same thing, yeah. It, well, yes, in in that sense, but that's me. That's a personal yeah. thing to me. Yeah. It, it doesn't apply to everybody. Um, yeah. And you know, just something that I've picked up really. I'm not sure if mm. that's a positive thing or a negative thing, but 
but there it is. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I've asked you about theatre for long enough. I think that it's time to turn something a bit more up your alley, which is uh, television. Because I, I know you are a massive television buff. I am. Uh, quite, yeah. yeah, nerdy on the um, HBO stuff and mm. various other developers as well. But yeah, no, I do keep a good eye yeah. on stuff. Um, so, so where do yeah. we start, I suppose? <laughs> where, where, where would you like to start? Because we, we share two TV shows and I'd like to talk about them both. Uh, but where would you like to start? Because we have Game of Thrones and Peaky Blinders to sort of cover. Sort of discuss between us, yeah. yeah. Um, let's, okay, let's go with Peaky Blinders for the time being, because Game of Thrones is controversial, Peaky Blinders is still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's things we can discuss about Peaky Blinders that we can think about for the future. I think it's two seasons. I have suspicion that it's two rather than just the one, but it has stopped production. Yeah. That's another thing. Well, I think we can we can safely say spoilers ahead if you haven't. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we, we don't care about you. We're gonna talk about it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna enjoy this conversation. Well, we're, we're gonna yeah, we might do it inadvertently. Spoilers. Yeah. You know, sort of. Yeah. Well done for giving me a spoiler warning. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> keep on, keep on. Um, so, Peaky Blinders was your recommendation for me last time. Well, not last. The two about. Yeah, yeah. The second to last time I saw you, you said watch Peaky Blinders, you'll love it, and I do. Um, so uh, I watched all four seasons and I loved it. Good. Uh, and I watched the fifth season and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I've heard otherwise is that some people don't like it. The fifth season was interesting. I enjoy the whole concept, so mm. like, there's, there is a bit of bias in there. It oh, had. Yeah a lot of predictable stuff, but you've got to consider the era in which it was set as well and the opposition that Tommy Shelby could be going up against. Historically, and for the programme, you've done the the sort of the Northern Irish, uh, you know, the issues to do with the police, the issues to do with the mafia, a, a revenge plot, and where... You know, consider where else that would go in the thirties, mm. sort of. Yeah. Especially in England, you know. He yeah. Could, the next season, Peaky, Peaky Blinders could have been with Michael Gray. Could have been in America, and you wouldn't have seen Tommy, right? Yeah. They just they could have done that kind of spin just to give it a bit more traction, I suppose. Mm. But really, in the the grand scheme of things, you're talking about which villain are we moving to? And a lot of people yeah. see, you know, it's quite an obvious villain trope to have that and then have somebody who's not not a hero necessarily, but certainly a protagonist dealing with somebody that's quite clearly a villain. Yeah. And so that, that slower paced maybe, but you've got to consider the enemy he was up against and what he was planning to do. I think. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it in a long time, so I don't think I could give any sort of episode by episode uh, yeah. advice on it. Yeah, because I obviously wanted to talk about it, but it has. I haven't watched any Peaky Blinders since 
um, season five, which was which I think was end of September, I think, or at the beginning of October when it kind of wrapped up. Yeah, no, it is just uh, mid of October about Yeah, um, I, I, I. I hold season five in quite a high regard but i do kind of think that season that it it possibly could have could have been i did see the issues in it as well and i did see maybe why some people didn't like certain aspects of it yeah i i'm not i would you know without looking into it i wouldn't be too sure where those issues lay Mm. in that sense maybe you could tell me but you're going I've I've heard a lot of people not like Tommy Shelby's. Um, I, I I suppose it's the personification of his mental health or his mental state. I guess because that that's a that's a different departure on on kind of what was the first four seasons that we we've never really touched upon that before. But I yeah. enjoyed it, but I didn't really. Yeah, no, it, it has been touched upon before, and I think it's important that people remember that. You know, you, yeah. you're you're dealing with the same man, whatever yeah. you think. This person doesn't reinvent themselves. Mm. It, it's the same, but and you 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 see it in season one and two with basically his addiction mm. that helps him get through a lot of the the storyline. Is basically his escape is his addictions to certain things, and yeah. like. Um, so it is there. It's just not as noticeable because you're focusing yeah. on so much else. The 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 style of Peaky Blinders blew everybody away. Now, yeah. of course, you you know what you you know what you're in for when you sit down to watch an episode of Peaky Blinders. Yeah. It exists. It's a world that yeah. they've built, and it exists. So you know what you're dealing with. Whereas yeah. back then, the the little issues. In, in terms of Tommy's character, wouldn't have been picked up as readily, I don't think. I think as well, like in ter- like I suppose that Thomas Shelby is is an anti-hero, I guess, in, in terms of a better word to describe him. Uh, Definitely, I mean, it's yeah, something the um, some the most American companies consider it to be a um, an anti-hero that you can sympathise with is mm-hmm. is the way it's put. Um, yeah. I don't. And I guess, I guess that really started with um, Tony Soprano uh, in the Sopranos. It's kind of that's where that kind of stems from. But now all of a sudden, it feels like everyone is kind of doing that almost. In TV, I suppose so. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's existed in uh, film for a long time. Mm. Yeah, that that's to do with the you know the quality of both mediums. It's it's basically on par now, if not on par, definitely. So yeah. you're you're. But yeah, the the anti-hero stuff, as far as um, sort of the level of drama is concerned, exists in sort of mid nineties upwards. Yeah. Um, but then there's the, that whole thing with the the American influence, British theatre, uh, British film, and everything else. A lot of the theoretical stuff that we did in. Mm. Like at an academic level, comes into that, but without us knowing about it, we just know about Tommy Shelby. We just want yeah. to follow his story, um, and most of the time, the dress sense and the the cars and the you know the, mm. the not not the lifestyle in that sense, but the sort of parts of the opulence of the 
era and the time and things yeah that's what grips people in and has curated a kind of fashion all of its own really i uh, mean I, i'd agree with you in that sense because i have bought uh to quote the 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 lyrics in the opening to- uh, credits uh, a dusty black coat i have bought one yes yeah and frock coat down to down to your shoes and then a flag. yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. i've bought into it as well yeah, <laughs> quite a major way. Yeah, because um, I, I like it. I think it suits it suits me and it suits a lot of other people. And like this is sort of a a lifestyle. I, I, the... I, I will say this: I I really like your style. I'm not even just saying that. I really do. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, I've pinched it. I think that's quite clear from the conversation we've just had. I have pinched yeah. it, but it's. You both it, have. It, yeah, it it helps, you know. It's it, yeah. A dress sense is important, and uh, like shows and influences can mm. help you decide where which direction you're you're going in. Yeah. Um, thankfully, of course, Game of Thrones doesn't do that. No, it has, no. has a medieval dress code. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's several other things about Game of Thrones that's a bit weird. The quoting, however, is on. Know, on par with most other films and TV and things like that, and, and stands out in a lot of pop culture yeah. circles. Peaky Blinders doesn't have that kind of following. That's another thing yeah. I'd like to mention. Peaky it, Blinders it, is, is not even, it, I'd say, in like worldwide, kind of even the top. Maybe in terms of like viewership, maybe top 20 is not even in that conversation, but Game of Thrones is at least in the top three. You could argue, even number one. Yeah. Yeah, no, if at points it would have been one, you know, yeah. sort of last year, year before it would have been one or two, but yeah. now it, it's the, like top 10. If mm. you were to introduce people to box sets, you'd go, that's where you, one of the places you'd start, I'd say. Yeah. Certainly one of the places I'd start. Yeah, Game of Thrones are probably, you know, Breaking Bad or something, something along those lines. So, something big, something popular, something that mm. people will engage with if they're happy to. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, it, it's good uh, to get things, but no, Peaky Blinders seems to be a bit of a British institution, and if other people, yeah. are, other people are latching onto that, that's great. We yeah. haven't, we haven't seen, I don't think, in Peaky Blinders, the the trope that most uh, American TV shows bring out, where they have a British person in the TV show because they know the Brits are watching it. They know yeah. those British people are watching it. Say, sort of season three, they'll have one British person because they know the British people are watching it. Yeah. The, 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 the dramas that we're talking about, Peaky Blinders, Game of Thrones, and maybe even Vikings as well, they yeah. haven't gone there. They've established a set. Yeah. Peaky Blinders and Vikings have established a set cast, you know, mm. a, a type to go from that yeah. would work, definitely. I, sh- I, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't have used Vikings there. That's definitely American. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll deal with that. You know, maybe yeah. Maybe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I have two more questions on Peaky Blinders. Is there any more you'd like to add? Um, no. And then we'll so go into Game of Thrones, shall we? We'll go on to Game of Thrones. So my second to last question on um, Peaky Blinders is: th- this is this is this is a spoiler. Uh, there is no way to kind of get around this, so I do apologize if you haven't caught up. Um, but when, um, oh, not Arthur, not Arthur. Um, who who was Tom? Tom 
Tom Hardy's character. I've forgotten his name. Alfie Solomons. Alfie, Alfie Solomons, yeah. When he comes back in that last episode, what did you think of that? Because that's another thing that people didn't like about this series. I mean, it's a trope. It's a stereotype. You can bring people back virtually any way possible. Um, mm. And if you've watched enough TV, you will have spotted it. Like, spotted yeah. it and were comfortable with the idea of it. Um, yeah. Sort of thing. It's not going to come as a shock. That's that's yeah. that's where you start to get the the rankings of TV programs. If things are genuinely a shock, people tend to receive it better. If people mm. have seen it coming, they're like, no, you know, why yeah. was that a thing? Um, but no, I I enjoy it. I enjoy that character, so I was glad to see it see him back. Um, yeah. In terms of the, the the interaction between him and Tommy are brilliant and and come up yeah. sort of you you can. Scripting wise, they they stand on their own type thing. Yeah. With, with a lot of the stuff we studied uh, academically, and I'm surprised that they're not going to be brought up more often. Um, yeah, I didn't. I did enjoy the twist. I've I can say I spotted it because it's it's quite clear. You you've got to be a certain level of television not to have to have an actor like Tom Hardy and kill him off. Yeah, that's, it's a certain level of drama. Peaky Blinders. Very brave thing to do if they went through with it the whole the whole yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to kill off Tom Hardy, but they tried. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, no, I, again, I enjoyed it. I yeah. like stuff like that, and I enjoy the character. So bring him back. <laughs> um, yeah. And the new role is cool. He has yeah. since since he has been brought back. He performs a slightly different role. He's still mm. that character, but to Tommy, he performs a slightly different role. And that's yeah. the band that now that I think about it, my goodness, this was a couple, you know, long time ago now since I watched this series. The balance mm. between that, like Alfie's advice and Tommy's mental health, that's mm. where it sits. That sort of yeah. season, because they're not they're not big seasons there. What are they? Six, eight episodes, six, something yeah. like that. So, so they they go, they cover a lot in a reasonably short space of time, and I'm not surprised things happened a bit quickly for a lot of people. Um, I, I I like it. I like the format, so I'm going to stick yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, um, last question, I I suppose on Peaky Blinders. Uh, I I will not spoil how we end season five. Uh, and kind of where we leave Tommy and, and everyone. Uh, oh yeah. But, <laughs> but, yeah. But I suppose I suppose I suppose the the kind of what they're implying at the end, you know, kind of with that final scene, what they're implying is not going to come come to fruition, and, and that you know we will continue. Um, no. Yeah. No, I I think the continuation has been like this isn't a series that's been under wraps is it we we've seen production photos we know who's involved we know they're you know on the set we know they're maybe maybe i'm going a bit too far into it but we definitely know they're on the set yeah uh, in flashback or whatever they're, they're involved somewhere so yeah what you're describing i don't think has happened yeah um but they've done it they've done it before we can't forget yeah. they've done it before. The oh, yeah. season two into season three, am I right? Or season season one into season two? Oh, yeah. Early on with the Winston Churchill thing. 
Oh, that yeah, that's, that's season two. That's season two. Season two, right. So they have tried it before. Hmm. Because because of this backlash, and I need to look into this, I had no idea that yeah, existed. Yeah. Um, because of that backlash, I don't think they try the same trick twice. Put it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, um, so in terms of that, where do, where do you see Peaky Blinders heading? If, if, you, if you could maybe formulate something in your head, and ultimately, because we're kind of almost in that conversation now at that point, where do you think this will end up? Because you know we're nearly at the end now. Well, Peaky Blinders, the as a, as a series, as a storyline, the the idea, as I remember, was that it was set between both wars. Yes. Right. So the we've only got about sort of three Ten to years. F- I I think it's a bit later than that. I'm not don't, sure. Don't we start well, season five in, in 1929? 19, 19, okay, so we, yeah, yeah. No, we've got ten years. So they've got, yeah, so five, year, five years a season sounds a lot of development in that yeah. time. That sounds a bit much. Maybe they'll put more in, but the, the general idea, as far as the public knows, is to set it between both yeah. wars and finish at the first air raid siren at the second yeah. airport. Yeah. That's how it's going to end. We know that whether we know about the Shelby's before or afterwards is a separate thing. Mm. Um, so in terms of my predictions for it, I think if I, if I remember rightly, I think this, like the cliffhanger won't come to anything from season five the cliffhanger won't come to anything we will resume normal uh like negotiations and various gang warfare the the interesting thing is michael's attitude towards tommy that is the thing that will shift the power in the series and that will Probably, as it normally does in Peaky Blinders, involve the family at large, because yeah. that's what hurts Tommy. That's what hurts him as a character, and then he has to deal with his mental health. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it, there's almost two separate storylines for Tommy: Tommy on his own, and then yeah. Tommy with his family. And the family thing creates a lot of violence most of the time. It, you know. And the, the most violent aspect of it at the minute is Michael Gray. Yeah. He's still Michael Gray, isn't he, in the series? Yeah, I think, I think so, yeah. yeah. So he hasn't... He's not Shelby yet, is he? Or... No. Okay, so that won't happen, put it that way. Um, yeah. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of... Well, a few scenes, anyway, that hinted at the fact that Michael was going to try and kill him and turn the whole mm. family against him. So that he will come into it as a villain, I will predict. I don't know when. Yeah. Um, and there's also the fact that Churchill was the orchestrator of a lot of the problems in the whole in the series as a whole. Yeah. And therefore he may become an enemy at one point or another. Mm. He's, as far as I remember, he's currently a friend to the Shelby's into the family we're following but given that he is an orchestrator of a lot of the suffering and everything else that goes on in the program he will probably be an enemy at one stage yeah like so we have have 
to wrap up the current villain that we have because because the kind of the part of season five is that we didn't see that climax where no you know no yeah. and, and we won't for another in terms historically we won't for another uh, sort of three or four years before anybody mm. realizes quite what's gone on yeah uh, it, like the because you've got a war of independence and then you've got the second world war all of which mm. involve Oswald Mosley and that side of it. How Peaky Blinders deal with that, I don't know. Yeah, because um, you have to take some artistic liberties, but also, like, in terms of maybe as much as you can stick into how history goes, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the the historical... <laughs> Peaky Blinders is a story of somebody's granddad, right? Yeah. Is <laughs> the story of somebody's granddad when the granddad was a little boy and was around at the time of the Peaky Blinders. Mm. So that is the fantasy element of it. That, you know, yeah. the, the Peaky Blinders themselves were around 11 years before the start of what we see. No, sorry. Yeah, 11 years before the start of what mm. the, the programme is set at. Uh, officially, historically, that's where they were. Um, yeah. But then, of course, being the era that it's set in and the villains that they've gone up against you've got various historical facts that need to be covered, otherwise we just end up losing most of the story. Mm, yeah. Um, but that's... Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I predict it's going to... Michael Gray will be a villain at a point. Oswald mm. Mosley will be sort of either... Like, seen as a villain yeah. properly yeah. for the first time in a... For, in terms of the Shelbys, in 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 this next season, and then mm. Churchill may become the next antagonist towards the end of the season. But that's yeah. sort of two, uh, end of the series. Sorry, but that's two seasons away at least. Yeah, um, so I, think, I think that wraps up Peaky Blinders quite nicely. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I think yeah, that. yeah. I think I think I think obviously I, I didn't even clock. Michael Gray being kind of the next big thing, but I, I, I agree I with you now, now thinking about it. I don't think he's the next big thing, but I think he's definitely dangerous he, in the yeah, series. He, yeah, I think he's definitely kind of where we're, we're heading anyway, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because he's, he's a young man. Anyway, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, you've read that part of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> in tight, boys. Um, so, we met up uh, we've met up twice since we've left Elstree. We've yeah. met up April of last year, which is just before the series eight of Game of Thrones, and I just binge watched it all. Yeah, uh, you did. You did that in yeah. record quick time as well. 20, you? 20, 21 days. I did it in for um, the whole thing. Yeah, for the whole thing. I will admit, I didn't. I didn't have a job at the time, so that, that probably helped. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, and then we met up in September. And I don't think we we fully spoke about our reflections on it. No, because um, we, we, we you had a couple of colleagues with you, and I don't think they'd seen the program mm-hmm. as a whole, had they? Yeah, so we didn't um, want to ruin it for them. Um, so. Yeah, we can. I, I mean, it's been a year now. If you haven't seen it, it's tough. Either, yeah. <laughs> Either go and watch it, or like, yeah. this is a spoiler. Um, yeah, or, or be prepared for us to ruin your lives. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, we'll leave that. Yeah, don't worry. We'll um, leave that up to your discretion. Yeah. Okay. Um, so 
first, where do we start with Game of Thrones? It's just huge. Um, so the fact I is, think... go on. Yeah, you. I think we should start with. Um, I, I think I think season eight. I think it's probably the best place to start because we obviously we haven't spoken about that. But work our way backwards. Yeah, and then and then maybe kind of work our way as a whole of Game of Thrones and kind of like how where we, where we view that now. Okay. All right. Um. So season eight. Mm. Let's put it this way: it's a work of fiction. In the yeah. sense, of we know it's fiction anyway. It's a story anyway, but it has no base. The writers of the program has no base from which to work. That stopped, and again, spoiler alert, when Jon Snow, quote-unquote, died. Yeah. Um, In series four, sort of start of five, that is where the books stop. Yep. The issues in the series is that they... The producers and writers of that series, they do both in the series, were had written it quickly. Yeah. Not taking into not taking into account the facts of the book and the facts of the stuff they themselves had curated mm. and rushed it because they were going to write a Star Wars film together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which didn't even end which up happening. Happen. No. Yeah. <laughs> um and therefore, the I'm not going to say it. It's it's just different. It doesn't, you know. It's it's quite a, a. It's not the ending that should have happened given the setup. Put it that mm. way. The, yeah. The like for it to go so slow after seasons and seasons of okay, we're going to have a battle. We're going mm. to do this. This character's going to get chopped. This character's going to, you know, there's going to be um, heirs and kings for the next hundred years or something because of something somebody's going to do now. Mm. So that, that whole thing was set up. And then all of a sudden, season eight comes along and, like, rushes through one of the, supposedly one of the biggest battles in the whole canon. Mm. And... And well, I say rushes through. It was two episodes of an eight-episode season, so yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it is quite big mm. in that sense. But was rushed in the scripting of it. And this is, I mean, I enjoyed it. I liked the big battle scene. I enjoy epic movies. I, you know, lots of other things, and I'm sure you do too, Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, I I enjoy that kind of scale. However. Mm. When you're dealing, that's the public opinion of it is that it was rushed and was a letdown, effectively yeah. because of the things that people have read and things that people have seen. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's basic overview of season eight in terms of the fact it's not going to give any spoilers in that yeah. sense because it is big and it will spoil it. And if you haven't seen it before, you know, sort of gets watching, start being involved in yeah. that drama. Um, it's hard to recommend Game of Thrones to people now, though, because you just kind of go, you kind of go, like, is it really worth their time? Because it took, it took me 21 days and I had nothing else to do. But, like, if someone has, like, you know, a, a job or they're at university, they have they have commitments like most people do, to kind of maybe dedicate two, three months of your life to watch a show, but that ending is kind of a bit anticlimactic. 
any. But would you still say it's worth it to watch? I think it is. I think it's it's one of those things that people view as an important story, or rather, yeah. like that is the sort of um, basically it's Lord of the Rings with the blood and guts and everything else put yeah. back into it. Okay, yeah. Lord of the Rings is a quintessential story. Maybe Game of Thrones will come to be a quintessential story as well. We don't know, and in that sense, it is worth it. Yeah. The fact of 70 odd, ep- like top end of 70, going into 80 episodes of, I don't know, like a, a series, and as you say, possibly months of your life watching this yeah. thing, maybe it's not the best thing at the yeah. minute. Um, it, it's, it, it's a good story, but 80 episodes is a long time. I, yeah. I there are bits that will stay with people. I'll say yeah. that, uh, regardless of what they think of it now, there are bits yeah. at the point in time, you know, bits when they watched it that were important and will stay with people. Mm. I also, when I first watched season eight, without giving anything away, so George R. R. Martin described it best, and it was basically just like if, you know, if you set up a murder and you, you plan it for the butler to do the murder, but then someone works it out and you change it so someone else does it, you've just ruined the story. Yeah, you're not going to be happy with it. It's, it's... Yeah, because you because all the build-up is for nothing. And that kind of does feel like what Game of Thrones was, that there was this one character that we believed were, was going to kind of get, get to where we thought he was going, and it was kind of prophesied and everything, and, and we did think that if things were going to go that way, we were going to get that ending, but I think in an effort and a failed effort, might I add, uh, to subvert our expectations, they did something else. On the surface, when I first watched it, it wasn't like too bad because the adrenaline's with you. You know, you've just watched a massive battle, and all of a sudden, you know, whoa, this has happened. I wasn't expecting that. That's that's great. But then you kind of sit back and you look at it and you go, uh, no, it actually, was really terrible. That yeah, that was possibly the worst bit of it was sort of taking a step back and thinking this that wasn't the way we wanted it to end Mm. Uh, no show ends well right we we can say that because we like these programs and we don't want them to end Mm -hmm. you know that's that's a fact but in terms of the the game of thrones it just wasn't what people wanted it to be wasn't even what the author wanted it to be and he hasn't even finished that's the thing. Yeah. His version of events still needs to play out with another two, maybe three books, and he's still on the yeah. first one of those three books. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's smart. It's a smart idea from him, you know, because you know he 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 doesn't have to write for you know ten years or whatever it is. You know, he can get all the royalties from from the series, and then when they mess it up, he's like, "Ah, oh, don't worry, guys. You know." Uh, I'll do my own thing, it's fine, don't worry. So actually, he's a very smart man. Yes, however, and he is, he's a very smart man. The thing is, the literary audience of the these books have stuck with him and have stayed with him through the TV show, and therefore, like, there's, there's an audience there without the show that need to see that ending. Yeah, I th- I think that's the kindest way of putting the sort of divide between the the books and the 
the TV mm. is that the, the ending will be different. Yeah, uh, it's, and it's it's up to you whether you're interested in that or not. Having seen season yeah. eight, I am, and I'll and I'll read it because I've read the rest of them. Yeah, but it, it you know it's up the the interpretations will be different, and it's up to you which one you prefer. I suppose. Yeah. Um. So I think in terms of now talking about Game of Thrones as a bigger picture, would you say? Overall, you you were you disappointed by kind of Game of Thrones, or would you still would you still regard it in kind of your kind of favorite pieces of media? Because uh, I know you were very you are very passionate about it. So so are you still are you massively let down by it, or has it not massively tainted your your kind of whole experience of it? As a whole, no. I I, I still like it. You know, I still like it as a concept and as a a story, and that up to about you know there are points that people could stop if they wanted to so mm. like i don't know sort of season seven ish sort of that that awkward period where it was eight episodes instead of 10 and the short the shortening because of what was going to happen what should have happened with the star wars films that didn't happen mm. that's where we noticed the cracks in game of thrones i will still enjoy it because of the things that you know the being nerdy about it basically mm-hmm. and the, the period of time that i enjoyed game of thrones i was a bit yeah. younger than i should have been watching these tv programs exactly but it's it's that for me is part of the enjoyment <laughs> I, I i'll keep that's that's part of why i, I enjoy it because i watched it at, at, at a time where the medieval storyline, the whole scope of it, captures my imagination and still would, mm. still does. Yeah, uh, it just dropped the ball in terms yeah. of the um, execution of the finale, which was mm. season seven and season eight. I still recommend it as a story. Last question from me, and of course, if there's, there is anything else you'd like to touch upon, then you know, go ahead. But so the last question about Game of Thrones, um, and probably the last question I have for you, would be, where where do you see Game of Thrones in terms of its legacy, and kind of like where where do you see it in terms of, in, in an overall scale of of media, where would you put it in terms of like, you know, greatest television shows of all time, or kind of greatest pieces of kind of drama of all time? I know it's a very hard question, a very broad one, so you know. If you can't answer, then obviously that's absolutely fine. But if you could give some sort of answer, um... no, I think it definitely ranks in sort of filmmaking, TV narrative terms as one of the best pieces, one of the most innov- innovative pieces ever, because yeah. it genuinely shocks people and yeah. will do. Like, does. It does now, and it will do for years. Should people pick it up? Yeah, but like it's it's been diminished. It's gone down a lot in people's mm. estimation because of what. And I'm not putting it solely on one episode or one season. Yeah, but what I'm saying, like the, it just it's been it's ended and seemingly forgotten. Yeah. In sense. So it has a legacy. It is important in the sense of it doesn't, nothing shocks like that. 
like George R. R. Martin had to go back to Shakespeare to get the same sort of shocks to get the yeah. kind of and yeah, that sounds pretty basic, but given the the content of both things, they're pretty similar. The the, yeah. the stories that are played out, the shocks that happen mm. cover most of the same beats along with the the deaths and the violence and the importance on marriage and you know the 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 romantic elements such as they were in Mm. game of thrones um like it it has a legacy it is important but it it's whether you pick it up or not i think is where we want to end it there with game of thrones it's whether you're interested enough to pick it up yeah um i I think that's about covered everything really Uh, (laughs) Yeah, unless unless there is anything else that you'd like to talk about. Um... Uh, no. no, 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 it's been great talking to you with you, Craig. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Well, that is the end of this episode of the In the Den podcast. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you have anything to promote or shout out, but if you do, you know, this is your space. Um... No, that's fine. Thank yeah, you very much. Uh, um, well, yeah, thank you for listening to this episode of the In the Den podcast. And I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.